So, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Encounter, about experiencing the presence of God. The great news of Christmas is that God encountered us in Jesus, that God did not leave heaven and earth separated, but invaded earth with his presence in his son, Jesus. And so we celebrate that in this season. But I want you to know when we talk about encountering God, um, that God is not distant. In fact, God's presence is not something we actually have to look that hard to find. Um, whether we realize it or not, God's presence is right in front of us. This week, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Psalm 139 and David's words in, in Psalm 139. He makes it clear that God's presence is right in front of us. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, God's presence is not hard to find. In fact, he pursues us all the time. He pursues us constantly. And so we don't believe in a, in a faith where we have to drum up, you know, incantations or drum up some kind of ceremony to experience the presence of God. It is available, it is now, and it is pursuing us. I think of the story of Jonah when I read this passage. I think of Jonah, who God spoke to, go to Nineveh and tell the Ninevites to repent. And Jonah, if you remember the story, hated the Ninevites because they were the oppressors of his people. So he got in a boat and he went as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly go, to the coast of Spain, which I wish I had a map to show you. It's as far away as he could go, but yet God's presence found him there found him as he was running away, right? Running from his presence. And so when we talk about experiencing the presence of God, it's right there. It is not hard to find. It is pursuing us. And it's here for us. And as you look at Psalm 139, the real question is not, can we experience the presence of God? The real question is this, do we want to experience the presence of God in our lives? That's the question. It's not a question of if. It's a question of want. Do we want to experience the presence? David says we can't get away from it. That God sees us and that God will find us. The real question of this series is, are we running away from it or are we running towards him? Are we running towards the presence of God? And we can run away in subtle ways. We can run away by filling our lives with, with noise, even great Christmas songs, you know, if you like Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby at Christmas, you know, but we can, we can uh, distract ourselves to a point where we're not listening to God, and I have no problem with you listening to Frank Sinatra, Bing, Bing Crosby, just to be clear, they're great. I love crooning, by the way. We should just have a big, big croon fest one Sunday. Um, yeah, let's do it. Donnie, you're in, right? Yeah, all right. Um, we can run away from God with just a busy schedule, just constantly going, going, going. 
Or, like Jonah, we can run away because we don't like God's plan, right? I don't want to do that. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go to Spain. Um, But today we're going to look at another reason why we may run from an encounter with God, and it's something Mary talks about in the Magnificat, and it's a word called pride. Our pride can cause us to avoid the presence of God. And everyone in this room struggles with pride. Everybody. We're all in on the pride bus, okay? We all struggle with it. We fight it every day. And sometimes it's what keeps us from experiencing God in in a more full way. It's what keeps us from, from letting people into our lives. It keeps us from um, loving our neighbor. It keeps us from seeking help even when we, when we need it because we have some pride. And if you don't think you have pride, let me ask you a question. How do you deal with criticism? Anybody like to be criticized? Maybe? Uh, no, I don't, I don't like to be criticized. Um, but when you hear criticism, whether it comes from work or about parenting or an offhand comment that sticks with you, does it trigger something in you? Does it trigger something in you? I remember when I was a recruiter, one of the first things they told me when I got the job was, if you're going to take this job, you need thick skin. Because when you do something wrong, somebody's going to pull you into a one-on-one meeting and tell you what you're doing to your face. That's just how we work here. And me, 22 years old, just kind of a goofy kid, feeling. I wasn't ready for that. And I got my feelings hurt, guys. I really did. Um, You know, they said I was too disorganized. I had to clean up my desk. They said I was a sloppy dresser. It hurt my feelings. But it was good, right? I started dressing better. I started getting a little more organized, just a little bit. (laughs) Still not very organized. Um, Not all the feedback made me feel good, but it was good. It was good. And so, are we willing to be real? Would you be willing to let your brothers and sisters give you feedback, and how would you receive that? And Would pride be in the way? If you're willing to receive it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So if there was one thing God honored in Mary, it was her humility, It was her humility. It was the way in which she was obedient to him. And today, as we continue this Christmas series, we're going to look at how God favors humility. God favors humility. And we find this in Mary's song, which we started last week, called the Magnificat. And God loves it when he sees humility in his people because that reflects his own heart. God is all-powerful, yet God is humble. God is humble. God has every reason to be proud. He's God, but he chooses. It's in his nature to be humble and loving and others-focused. The story of Christmas is that the Son of God humbled himself to the point of becoming an infant born in a dirty animal stall. It's a picture of humility, total humility. And so Mary touches on pride and humility in the middle of this story called the Magnificat. And we're just going to look at three verses today, and it's Luke 1, 50 through 52. Uh, feel free to read this with me, either in your Bible or on the screens. It says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. This is where we're going to be hanging out today. Mary here is speaking in general terms about how God has acted in history. This is, this is how God is. This is who God is. This is, she's declaring what God has done, and she's also prophesying about what God will do. God will perform mighty deeds. God will extend mercy to those who fear him. <laughs> sorry. I uh, got a, still a little bit of the cough. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I promise I'm not contagious. I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying that, but uh, I, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so he always scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He always brings down rulers from their thrones and lifts up the humble. It's just something that God does. Because the beautiful thing about God is that his character does not change. Throughout scripture, God's character does not change. This is who God is. If heaven had a boardroom, there's some bugs. I wish I could just turn that off, but uh, thanks, Brian. Hey, give it up for Brian this morning. Brian is like a man on a mission this morning. Awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate that a lot. Let's give it up for Brian. What I was saying was, if heaven was a corporation, they'd never have to meet about values. Because God's values never change. God doesn't change. God doesn't revise his values. He's always been humble. If you read uh, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, God's always lifting up the humble, and he's always knocking down the proud. That's what God has done over and over and over again. Mary sees that God has done mighty deeds with the strength of his arm. The humble can see that. God is a God who cares for the humble. God is a God who opposes the proud. And if you read the Bible cover to cover, you'll see this time and time again and again and again. So let's take this verse by verse. Mary says, His mercy extends to those who fear him, and from generation to generation. He says, God's mercy extends to those who fear him generation to generation. God does take sides. God does draw lines. But the lines that God draws and the lines that we might draw are different. God doesn't draw any lines that humanity has drawn over history, uh, whether that's based on class between wealth and poor, whether that's based on race, whether that's based on interests, whether that's based on politics, God chooses to have mercy on those who fear him. That's the line. Do you fear God or do you not fear God? When, they, when we talk about fearing God, it's a reverent fear. Do you believe that God is God? Do you believe that God is God, that God is in control? That God is the Almighty. That is fear. That is reverent fear. And so, to put it more simply, God has mercy on people who see him as God, who see him as the authority. As Mary says, this has not changed from generation to generation. Let's go back to Jonah for a minute. It was Christmas, but let's talk about Jonah. Why not? Um, Jonah, 
was running from Nineveh. He was headed to Spain. He was headed away from the oppressors, these people who had tortured, killed, and enslaved his people. Jonah had drawn a line. I am not going to tell these people that God is merciful. God's line wanted to include those people that Jonah did not want to include. God said, Jonah, go and tell them about their sin. Go tell them to repent so that they can come to me and be restored. And Jonah didn't like that because he had a firm line, so he ran as far away as he could. Yet God gets a hold of Jonah, you might remember, in, in the belly of a fish. Three days in the belly of a fish, he gets spat up on land somehow, and uh, he ends up going to Nineveh. He does what God asked them to do, and they repent. They repent, and God gives them mercy. Because no matter what they've done, no matter how bad they were, God gives mercy. So God gave mercy to a people that Jonah had drawn lines around, that he had crossed off. And he complains to God at the end of this. He doesn't like that God showed mercy to the Ninevites. And he said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending, sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's so angry, so upset, so mad that God would show mercy. God's radical around a people that in Jonah's mind did not deserve it at all. He was angry at, he was miffed at, they were his enemies. And yet God draws a line around them. God is merciful. Jonah knows this, that's why he ran, because God is always God. God is all, God's character does not change. He is gracious, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in love. And it took the Ninevites recognizing that God is God to receive that mercy. So God's heart wants to show his people mercy, and we have to recognize his power and authority in our lives. We have to humble ourselves. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but in the Bible, there's a follow-up to the book of Jonah. It's, it's a little book that we don't read a whole lot. I've never heard a, a sermon series on this book. The book of Nahum. Nahum, right? Yeah, who? <laughs> Nahum, the book of Nahum is the, is the sequel. And we don't really preach it because it's kind of a, 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 a dark book. But a hundred years later, another prophet comes named Nahum. And the people of Nineveh, again, have forgotten and rejected God, this time for good. And now we see God draw a line against them. This is what it says in Nahum 1.3. It says, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. So God says, I'm merciful, but you need to recognize my authority. And they didn't. And they crossed, crossed God. This is what he said, and Nahum says in verse 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. I know they didn't teach this book in Sunday school, but here it is. 
Uh, <laughs> no, Nineveh, proud, arrogant, don't need God. And there came a point of judgment a hundred years later, a hundred years after. But again, God's character shines. God is good. God is a refuge for those who fear him in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. He's good. But God will not let the guilty go unpunished, is what he says. So why do I share this? Mary speaks to the unchanging character of God, that he is always merciful. But God is also a God of justice. God shows mercy to the humble, those humble enough to receive it, and he shows justice to those who reject him. And that's the thread of Scripture. And the truth is, God cares about injustice. God cares about oppression. God cares about abuse. God cares about, um, God cares about the sufferings of people. I had a friend travel to Pakistan recently, and he was speaking to a, uh, a with a group called All People Free that's working to um, w- working to end uh, slavery in the brick trade, brick making trade in Pakistan, where people are basically enslaved to work 16 hours a day, whole families. Um, they're in, it basically indentured to um, an oppressive. Um, an oppressive group of people. And you know what? God cares about that, and God sees that. And God will not leave the guilty unpunished. But at the same time, God wants to include everyone in his mercy. God wants to include everyone in his mercy. And the baby Jesus makes that clear. The fact that God was willing to send his son to earth, to, be, to live among us, to be with us when we were his enemies, to become that vulnerable, shows you that God will do anything, God will do anything to encounter you, to, in, to change you, to bring you on his side. God's intention for your life is that you'd live by his mercy, that you would receive his mercy. And God has literally done everything to give his mercy, to extend his mercy to you. And his mercy is able to cover whatever you have, whatever brings shame in your life. There is no shame, there is no guilt too great for, God's, uh, for, for God not to cover through the blood of Jesus, right? He brings all of us on the, on the other side of the line, Right? When we believe, there is no hard line around you. There is no hard line around you. If you receive the mercy of God, you enter in uh, to relationship with him. And yeah, we can get stuck in ruts sometimes, right? We can get stuck in a rut, different, different sins, different things, but God's mercy still can bring us over the line. There is no point, never a point where God's mercy is not enough. And the question is not, can I get it? The question is, do I want it? Do I want it? And that comes by knowing you still need it. So mercy brings this freedom of living in God's kingdom. It's a gift of encountering God. And here's what I want you to know today. God wants to absolutely floor you with his mercy. God wants to floor you with his mercy over your life. 
And the reason why you need the presence of God in your life is not to be super spiritual. It's not to ascend to this high plane. It's to know the love and mercy and grace of God in a way that takes you to the floor. In a way that knocks you off your feet. To know the depth of God's love for you is the point. It's not to ascend to a high on spiritual hill. It's to just know the love of God in your life, the grace of God in your life. I can tell you, when I first encountered the mercy of God for real, it brought me to tears over and over and over again. It brought, I would be driving, and I would break out crying because of the mercy of God. It brought me to the floor. It amazed me. It overwhelmed me so that all I could do from the floor was lift up my hands and praise him for how good he is. That is why we want to encounter the presence of God, right? So that we can know from the depth of our heart his mercy, his love, and that he's named us, right? And I wish I could say I'm always in that place, right? But man... Life gets busy, crazy, we get distracted. I'd always love to be in the place of receiving the mercy of God from the floor, but there, there's distractions, there's all sorts of things that get in the way, and you know this. You know this. But I'm here to tell you today that pride in our life will not take us to the floor. Pride causes us to seek a throne, right? Pride causes us to seek a throne, Pride will actually keep us from the joy of knowing the love of God, from being on the floor, because it will cause us to seek a throne. It will cause us to compare. It will cause us to think about how great we are. It will cause us to take offense to things, right? And defend ourselves when God wants us to be on the floor in a receiving posture, receiving his mercy. So, friends, if you find yourself in a place where you're struggling with pride and, and about twice a week, no, three, four times a week, seven times a week, I don't know, daily, sure. It's time to get back on the floor, guys, right? It's time to get back on the floor because that's where we can receive mercy. It's the best place to encounter God. Let's look at what Mary says next. She says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. So here we go. Here's a dichotomy between pride and humility. The humble see God's work in mighty ways. All the good that they see happening comes from God's hand. What is happening with the proud? They're lost in their own thoughts. It says they're stuck in their own head right? I've never been stuck in my own head, but uh, maybe somebody can tell me what that's like. Um, no, no, we get stuck in our head. Our pride causes us to analyze and think and worry and, and be concerned and, and think future and think about ourselves and what's best for me and, and all this stuff, all the things. We get lost in our head, and that's not from God. That's from ourselves, that's from our own pride. The mind of the proud never stops moving. It makes us restless. But the mercy of God, allow, the mercy of God allows us to see 
that God is the hero, that God is moving, that God is at work in our lives and in other lives. It allows us to trust in a God that's more powerful than ourselves and more mighty than ourselves. And so I believe that as a church, God wants us to serve not from a throne, but from the floor, right? He wants us to serve from a point of being changed, of receiving from him, and to, and to trust that he is at work in us and in the world. <coughs> we are not the savior of Blaine. Jesus is. God is. God is the one at work, and he'll do it with us or he'll do it without us. Praise God. Praise God it doesn't rely on us because it's a pretty big job. Um, so let's look at this last verse, 52. Mary, filled with the Holy Spirit, carrying the baby Jesus, says this. She says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Here's another dichotomy. Rulers and the humble. God takes down rulers from their thrones, but he lifts up the humble off the floor. So, God takes down ruler, and, and you can think about the ruler that maybe is in Mary's mind. Right? Herod. Herod is in Mary's mind at this point. She's living in Judea under the rule of King Herod, who was greedy, manipulative, egocentric, angry, was so worried about this prophecy of the Messiah that he kills all the, the male children under two in the region where Jesus was born. He makes Mary and Joseph refugees fleeing to Egypt, right? Mary is saying God brings down rulers from their thrones, right? Even before she has to go through all of this even before she has to flee to Egypt with an infant, right? It's like, God, God is going to take Herod down. And he does. And he does take Herod down. So this is prophetic. God would throw down the powerful overlords and lift up this family who were soon to be refugees. Soon to be refugees. I don't think there's anything more humbling. I can't imagine anything more humbling than being a refugee, Right? being in a place you don't know with nothing really to offer, just need. And that's where God had Mary and Joseph. He had them in a humble place, but he would lift them up and exalt them. So I want to encourage you, if you feel like you've been knocked to the floor, like, hey, I, I'm already on the floor. Like, I don't know what this talk is. Like, I'm already there. Like, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Because God can lift you up from the floor. If you feel like this year has emptied you out, if it's, if it's left you feeling weak, God wants to lift you up, right? In our, in our weakness, he is strong. And so that's, that's awesome. That should be a perspective changer. It's the heart of God to lift up, to exalt the humble. This is what it says in Psalm 147. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. He, he sustains, he lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Again, that dichotomy is there. This is also what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches the model of leadership 
between his disciples and the Pharisees were, were this way. The Pharisees modeled pride. The disciples model, modeled a faithful, humble trust. You may remember this from a different series, but, but Jesus said this in Matthew 23. He said, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. This is, then he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, this is not a one-off thing. This is all throughout Scripture. Rulers, leaders, whether in government or maybe even in the church, can get obsessed with titles, right? Titles can be a trap. Titles can be a trap. Jesus is saying don't live for a title, right? Don't, don't let other people calling you something lift you up. Don't seek to be called rabbi or instructor or whatever because that gets in the way of Jesus being the, the teacher, the instructor. He's saying if you want to be great, serve. Serve others. Serve from the heart. Serve often. You know, I don't know if there are mansions in heaven, but I think the people who have the greatest mansions will be people that we've never heard of before. That just humbly served or humbly gave or faithfully did the things that God was calling them to do that didn't make it in the history books, right? They didn't make it on a podcast, right? They just faithfully served. They just did what God wanted them to be. So, God honors, most honors those who serve on the periphery, not for the praise of others, but only for the praise of their Lord. So let me encourage you, let me encourage you, don't seek a throne this Christmas, find freedom on the floor. Find your freedom, find grace, find peace, and most of all, find the love that God has for you from the floor. The, the freedom to serve, freedom to love, freedom to see God move in power. We don't need to think that we're super special. We just need to believe that God is special, right? Like, just let's see what God does. That's, that's God's heart. And so my prayer this Christmas is just not that we get so busy we miss what God's trying to do in us, but that we get opportunities to receive from God and to give to others to serve and love humbly, to bless, not curse. That's what God wants. God doesn't need us to be self-promotional. God doesn't need churches to be self-promotional. They need churches to be Jesus-promotional, right? Getting Jesus out there, that, that people might see the, the beauty of, of Jesus. He's a lot more beautiful than us. I'm sorry that he is. He needs us to demonstrate the love of God both in here and out there, right? To love our community well. And we do that best <coughs> when we're not, <coughs> sorry, when we're not seeking a throne, but worshiping from the floor. And so let's get back to this original question. Do you want to experience the presence of God in your life? I hope you do. Here's the challenge. Experiencing God profoundly requires the humility to let him in fully right? To receive him fully. That's really all the takeaway today. Just to receive, just to receive the mercy of God in your life.
just to receive the love of God in a new way and maybe experiencing it, maybe experience it from the floor. Maybe, maybe in worship as we respond today, if you feel comfortable, worship on your knees. Worship on your knees. Just, just the posture. Sometimes it takes our body to lead our heart, right? Like, I'm going to take this little faith step. I'm just going to kneel, right? I'm just going to be right here. Maybe that might be what it is today as we close in worship. That might be where God wants to meet you today. And you know, in the morning, before you carry on with your day, again, maybe it's just taking that posture, taking a minute. I can't really be busy if I'm on, if I'm on my knees, right? Maybe it's just taking that minute to, to, to humble yourself a little bit. Even that, not, not to be pious, not to be showy, but just to take, uh, take that posture so that it, it becomes what your heart posture is, right? That it moves from your body to your heart. That, that your hands, opening your hands moves, moves from your body to your heart, right? That you want to live with an open posture, ready to receive what God has for you. So what I would encourage you today, if you feel comfortable and if you feel led, even if you don't feel comfortable, how about that? <laughs> even if you don't feel comfortable, yeah, take a, take a knee of faith, right? Take a knee of faith, yeah. Lori, it's okay. You know, you get a pass, okay? It's all right. <laughs> um, but I want to encourage you to do that. This is a, this is a safe place to do that. No one's going to look at you funny because hopefully there will be several in here doing the same thing. But it's that moving from your body to your heart of just, God, I'm here. I want to receive your mercy. I, I want to be free. So uh, remember too, remember too, who was gathered, you know, we see a lot of nativities in this season, and, and who was gathered around Jesus? Wise men and shepherds, the lofty and the humble, the rich and the poor, the, the educated and, and the guys who knew a lot about sheep, you know? And they both bowed. They both bowed before Jesus. So let's, uh, let's pray. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to close in worship today. And then don't forget, kids, uh, I think we've got to practice in here, and we also are going to turn around and, and enjoy some time together as a family in, in, uh, in a meal. So let's pray. Lord, Jesus, uh, I pray that you would help us to just receive from you today. Lord, even receive on our knees, God. Lord, even, even to bow before you, God, not to make a show. God, not to, not to show how pious we are or how spiritual we are, but just to receive from you, to get out of the way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to humble our hearts. I pray that you would help us to live expecting for you to work in mighty ways. And I pray that you'd help us to be a community that just loves you and knows your love and extends that out to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.